Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, if you'll take it and turn to the book of 1 John, we're in chapter 4. While you're turning there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your Word. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that's found in Him. Father, we thank you for uh, your beloved disciple, John. Lord, we thank you for the words that he left us, that were inspired by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that we will indeed be able to apply these to our life. I pray that we'll each be more like you. And Father, I pray especially now that you would feed your people. And I pray that you would use me to do it. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, to stir you up by way of remembrance, the, the book of John was written by the Apostle John, the disciple John. He writes it as an old man to the church. Uh, he's the last of the disciples left living. And so he's leaving uh, the last eyewitness account. He writes the book of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also writes the book of Revelation. And we told you that one of the reasons that I really like this book of 1st John is that uh, old men seem to be a little bit punchy. Uh, they don't wear kid gloves the way that they did maybe growing up, and they uh, they just give it to you. Uh, one of the things that I loved most about Cash Out when I first got here was Cecil Harden would always sit on the back row. I don't know if you remember me saying this or not. He'd always sit on the back row somewhere, and he'd turn around, and he'd shake my hand, and he'd grab it, and he'd pull it to me, and he'd say, now you give it to us, you hear? You give it to us good. And uh, that was always a good pep talk before getting into the pulpit, was knowing that there was a man of God that wanted it and wanted it straight. Don't don't tidy it up. Don't do anything. Just give it to us like the man said it. And John does that for us. He's told you very clearly that if you say you walk in the light, but you are involved in deeds of darkness, you lie to yourself and you're a child of the darkness. Doesn't get any clearer than that. And he tells you over and over and over again in the first two chapters, if you say this, but things look like this, then you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to examine your life and see where you are. Are you walking in the darkness or are you walking in the light? And the other thing that he wants to do with this book is he's combating a heresy called Gnosticism that we talked about. And these Gnostic beliefs, these Gnostic believers said that there was no way that Jesus could be divine and man at the same time. That the divine and the human didn't intermix. And so that means that according to their beliefs that Jesus was not fully God and fully man. And you all know that if, if Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, then his death on the cross meant nothing for us. Right? Because it had to be God giving himself on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Right? Give me a little head nod just to make sure we're all speaking the same language. All right. And so what that means is that if, if he couldn't be fully divine and he couldn't be fully man at the same time, then when he rose from the dead that he didn't rise bodily. Okay? And so they deny a bodily resurrection. So if you deny the resurrection and you deny that Jesus was fully God, then you don't have any salvation to cling to. And that's what was going on. John, uh, you'll find that when these apostles were going out and they were spreading the gospel, they would spread the gospel around an area and then people would come behind with heretical beliefs, tweaking several things, and they would tweak them just enough to where if you believed what they said, you you were not in a place of salvation. You were misguided and in, in, in bad shape. And so you find that Paul writes several letters and he made several missionary journeys going back and checking on those churches that he started. And so John is is uh, guiding them away from those Gnostic beliefs and he's, he's leading them into what he was given. And so where we're going to pick up in John, 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he's talking about these people with these Gnostic beliefs. And he says, listen, everybody that stands up to preach, everybody that says that they have a word from the Lord, don't believe everyone who says that. You with me? That's good advice for anybody. My advice to you would be, don't turn on the TV and listen to everybody that you hear. That would be, that would be modern day advice for you. He says this, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. And so how do you go about then testing to see if someone is from God or if they're a false prophet? And he says in verse two, here's the answer. He says, by this, you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. And so I want you just to remind you about this Gnostic belief that they were saying that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that he wasn't really God. And John says, listen, in our particular context, this is how you see if someone is of God or not. If they deny that Jesus came in the flesh, they're not of God. He says, if they deny that Jesus came in the flesh, they are of the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, they're not the capital A Antichrist that's going to come around at the end of the age, but they have the spirit of the Antichrist and that they are anti-Christ. They have denied who Jesus actually is and they're in the spirit of the Antichrist and you should not believe them. This is pretty, pretty cut and dry, right? Don't you wish it was that easy nowadays? Like, heresy has evolved so much as time has gone on. We're 2,000 years beyond where Christ is and heresy has just gone off the charts it's gotten more complex and it gets people muddled up every single day not knowing what to believe so in jesus's day they're coming around trying to take away who jesus is in our day this is what heresy looks like a lot of times you guys are ready some of you guys aren't gonna like this grace 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 god loves you 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 and silent when it comes to you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you come to God in faith and repentance, you will be saved. You see what's going on there? Is that now our heresy says things that are right. Grace, grace, grace. You do. You are. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given more grace than you could ever use up an entire lifetime. Right? And you have been covered in God's grace. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Uh, John's sermon was incredibly fitting that he watches over the sparrow and he watches over you even more. Why? Because he loves you so much. And he even says, the scripture says that he says, I don't call you friends anymore. Now you're sons of God, right? You're not, excuse me, you're not servants, but you're friends and you're friends and you're sons of God. And so you, all of these things on this side of the heresy are true. What the heresy does now that traps a lot of people is that it leaves out. You have to deal with sin. No one has ever been saved that hasn't dealt with their sin and isn't actively walking in repentance and faith. That's a fact. And so where the heresy comes in is when you leave that out. With me? So the whole teaching of Scripture is not intention, but it, it's a balance. Because the grace side is true. God's love is true more than you could ever imagine. But the, the weight of sin and the need for repentance is more true than you could ever imagine also. And they balance each other out perfectly. And that's why it's important for us. 
That's why on Sunday mornings, we go line by line and verse by verse so that we don't skip anything. So that you know that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. That you are not just uh, a servant of God, but you're a friend of God and you're a child of God. And also that your sin is detestable before God. And if you want to live a life pleasing to Him, you have to repent of it to be saved. And that's why we cover all of the scripture. That's why we go out of our way to make sure that we cover scripture and the whole counsel of scripture, not just certain pieces of it. Make sense? And so when we go through some of these passages, you're going to go, wow, that is, I do not know how that applies to me today, but the reason we do it is to not skip over things. And uh, it's possible to preach from this, the very words of God and be a very big heretic because you leave out other parts of God. And so what going line by line and verse by verse does is it, it keeps you from skipping the parts that you don't like. Because if we're going to be honest, there are parts of this book that make me very, very uncomfortable. How about you? You guys are good with it? Whole thing? All right. Tough crowd this morning. All right, here we go. Moving on. And so he says that you need to realize that the spirit of the Antichrist is here. Anybody who's denying that Jesus is in the flesh is of the Antichrist. They says, but you, verse 4, you're from God, little children, and you've overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that capital H is he who is in you. And that lowercase h is he who is in the world. They are from the world. That's the false prophets. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so he gets a little bit wordy here. But remember that John is the last eyewitness follower of Christ. Right? The last one who's an apostle or a disciple. The last one of the inner circle to be alive. And he says this. He says, the people that are out there that aren't listening to me, they're not from God. I was an eyewitness. I saw it. And how you can tell if someone is, is of God or not of God, he says, when they speak, the world listens to them. We're of God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. And so he says, gang, this is another way you can tell who's of God or not. And this is not me speaking, this is John. John says, if they're listening to me, they're of God. If they're not listening to me, they're not of God. And this makes perfect sense. How in the world could you not listen to someone who walked with Jesus when all of the other followers of Jesus are gone? This happens so often. You have, you have, that's why we're doing an old school vacation Bible school, right? Old school. The, the, the foundational principles of the faith are what we're going to talk about, right? But there's so many times people get swept away by this new teaching, this new teaching, this new book. So they come up with all these books, the gospel of Judas. Oh, there's new secrets. No. You want to know the secrets? The eyewitnesses gave you all the secrets and there isn't anything new. Like they left you exactly what they wanted you to have. And there aren't any hidden documents. The Holy Spirit preserved all of this for you to have it. And people who are of God, listen to this book. And people who are of the world don't have any need for this book. This is that simple. Then he goes on and he says, beloved, this is verse seven. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
Now, I want to go back real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to talk about what love is. We preached a couple sermons on this. But he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Right? Love is a word that gets mixed up in our culture. But what is, what is real, true love? Like it's, it's not a feeling. Like, I love that person. I love that person. I love that person. We're usually talking about the way we feel about them. And the Bible has a completely different definition of love. It says this. Love is patient. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. If you want to turn there, you don't have to. I'll be back in 1 John in a second. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so he says, brothers and sisters, that's what love is. And he says, let us love one another. Let us not have a gushy feeling towards one another, but let us be patient and kind and not bragging and not arrogant. Let us be all of those things towards each other. And he says, and everyone who loves God is born of God, knows God. And so he says, the way that you treat the brethren is evidence that you're walking with God. The one who does not, this is verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so he says, gang, it's impossible. It's impossible to act a certain way and say that you know God because God is love. And if you know God, you will act with love towards other people. And it's not the gushy feeling, it's the patience, kindness, all of those things that we just mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so by this, the love of God, excuse me, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, So that we might live through him. And so he says, gang, this is what real love looks like. God sent his son into the world to die for you. That's what love looks like. That's what kindness looks like. That's what patience looks like. That's what not bragging looks like. That's not seeking its own. Not taking into account a wrong suffered. Not rejoicing with unrighteousness, but rejoicing with the truth. That's what love looks like. And that's what Christ did for you. And it's only out of the overflow of what Christ did for us that we can love anybody else at all. And so he says that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And so it's not just that God sent his son into the earth to die for you, but he sent his son into the earth to take God's wrath on your behalf. You and I, because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God on our lives. So he said, well, that's a good person, that's a good person, that's a good person. Anybody who's ever sinned one time deserves the wrath of God on their life for an eternity for offending a holy, infinite God. But this is love, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
And he took the wrath that you deserve and that I deserve on our life. And he took it on himself so that you can be a child of God and live a life that glorifies God. And he says, beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so he says, gang, if God did that for us, if he bore the weight of God's, of his own wrath on his son for us, why in the world wouldn't we love each other? And so he says, we need to love each other. Then he says in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so in a sense, he's saying, listen, nobody's seen God at any time. But if you will love each other, people will see God through you. And so when I do weddings, there's a line in weddings that I always like to have. And that is, I usually say to the bride and the groom and the charge that I give that marriages are falling apart all around you and the best shot that you've got at making it is to love Christ with everything you have. And then I say that there's times when the person standing in front of you doesn't deserve your love. There will be times. Would you say that, that in, in a lot of marriages, the person that you married seems like they don't deserve your love, right? You guys are afraid to answer that. And I'll say that when you feel like they don't deserve it, love them anyways. Because we don't deserve the love that Christ has for us either. And gang, you are never more like Christ than when you are loving someone who is unlovable. Because Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. You didn't want repentance. You didn't want to be saved from your sin. But Christ died from you to offer you that when you were happy in what you were doing, rebelling against him. And so love people, even when they don't want your love, love them. Then he goes on and he says, by this, this is verse 13, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because we, excuse me, let me start over verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And so He says this is another way that you can have evidence that you are a true follower of Christ and that is that God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the way that you can tell that God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you is one of the ways is that you have the capacity to love others because without the Spirit of God in your life, you can't love unlovable people because it's not natural. It's only through God's power that you can love people who are unlovable. It's only through God's power that you can be all of these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant, not acting unbecomingly, not seeking its own. Not easily provoked. Not taking into account a wrong suffered. You can't do all of those things without God's spirit living inside of you. It just doesn't happen. And so he's going to go on to say that we've seen, and, and he says, remember this, that when John, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4 verse 14, when he says that we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, he saw it with his own eyes. Like, don't get away from this. That this, this book of First John, everything that the Apostle John wrote is an eyewitness account of what actually happened in history. And he says, we saw it. We saw and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 says this. He says, 
This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he says, listen, gang, God wants to be the Savior of the world. His death was sufficient to save the world, but the only way his death is effective in your life is if you put your faith in him, you confess that he's Lord and repent of your sins and believe that he died and rose again. That's how a man is saved. And that death is, that, that salvation is only effective for you if you've put your faith in Christ. And so then he says in verse 15 what I just said. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And remember, what did we say the very first time we were going through the book of John? How is it that you abide in God? You keep his commandments. That's how you know that you're abiding in God. You're you're abiding in love. You're abiding. You're keeping his commandments. You're following God. And you'll see that this works itself out in verse 17 and 18. He says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And so he says, the other way that you can be confident that you have salvation is because you're abiding in love. You know the love that... Christ has for you and you're turning around and you're giving that love to other people also. You get this? You're not just doing good things, right? You're not just baking pies. You're not just being kind to your neighbor. But you know the love that Christ has for you and that same love that Christ has for you, you're giving to other people also. And and a lot of that is loving people who aren't lovable. You want to grow in your faith? Look around you for people who are unlovable and love them. And you will grow in ways that you have never grown before. And as you grow and as you take your journey with Christ, God's going to bring people in your path that are unlovable. And one of the ways that you you model that you're in the faith is that you don't stiff arm them and, and, and run them off, but you choose to love them. And then he goes on and he says, that's why we have confidence because this love has been perfected in us so that we can have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. And so the other way that you're confident of your salvation in God is because you look like God. You ever think about that? One of the reasons that you can have confidence standing before God is because on this earth, you've been doing everything that you can do to be more like God in this world. You've been repenting. You've been walking in faith and repentance. You've been loving people who are unlovable. You've been doing all of those things. And he says, that's how you're going to have confidence to stand at the last day. And then he says in verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And so the only reason that you and I have any capacity to love anybody is because Christ first modeled it for us. Right? Some of the most lovable people in your life had good parents and their good parents modeled what a godly, godly love looked like within their house and then they turn around and do that for others. That's one of the ways that we learn how to love people. 
but the reason that we have the capacity to love each other is because God first loved us. And he says, and remember, this is not the, the gushy type of love that's actually lust in the movies. This is love. This is being patient with someone. This is being kind to someone. It's being all of those things. And then he says in verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. This is the punchiness of John that I love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And so one of the ways that is makes it evident that someone is a follower of Christ is that if there's someone in their life that they should hate, they don't. They love them anyways. I told you guys one time I was riding in a truck with somebody who was a member of our church. And this was about three and a half years ago. And uh, I had walked through something with somebody and I was, I was still a little bitter about it. And the individual looked over at me and said, you need to forgive them. I was like, well, that was real unprovoked. Thank you for that. Uh, appreciate that word you just gave me. And I thought to myself, but you don't understand all the details. And they said, they don't matter. You need to forgive them. And, and then I thought, but, and they come up with a bunch of other reasons why, you know, it probably wasn't a good idea for me to forgive them because they just, if they knew everything that I knew, they, they just would, they would understand. And he said, no, you need to forgive them. And I did. I did. Someone unprovoked told me something that I should do, and I did it. And let me tell you that an immense weight was off my chest after I did that. Forgave them. And I actually had a chance I didn't get to, but I, the opportunity presented itself just recently for me to see that person again, and I wasn't bothered about it at all. I was fine with it because of forgiveness and because of love. We're supposed to love people. And if we say we love God and we hate our brother, we lie and we don't love God at all. And it's not me saying it. That's John inspired by the Holy Spirit saying it. And so we need to be people who love one another. Bottom line. We need to be people who are walking in faith. We need to be people who are, who are using discernment in the things that we listen to when it comes to the preaching of the word. We need to discern whether someone is of God or not. This is all the people that we listen to. That we listen to. And then... All of the other things that he mentioned in the book of John, or excuse me, in this, this chapter of 1 John. We need to be people who love because God first loved us. And we need to not be stiff-arming those people who seem unlovable, but we need to love them anyways. Amen? Boy, you don't sound convinced. But that was a hard one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for... The fact that you loved us while we were still sinners. And we thank you that while we were sinners, you died for us. You sent your son to this earth. And you took the wrath that we deserved in our life on yourself. And Father, we are eternally grateful for you doing that. And Father, we pray that as a people, that we would be able to accept that love. And that we would be able to turn around and show that love to others as well. Lord, we pray that you would give us the capacity to do so. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never experienced your love, who's never put their faith 
and you coming to this earth, dying for our sin and then raising from the dead to give us eternal life, if there's no one who's ever put their faith, excuse me, if there's no one who's ever put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day they do it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with us for a hymn of invitation. It was good to see you guys today. Hope you have a great week. I want to remind you that uh, if you're helping with Vacation Bible School, uh, stick around, uh, grab your kids from the nursery, and then come on back, and uh, we're going to meet right here. Everybody try to sit on this middle row, if you will. And uh, also, if you're on the Children's Committee, stick around a few minutes after that um, so we can talk as well. Love you guys. Hope you have a great week. And I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would close us in prayer.